Hello and welcome to No Earthly Reason with Jodi Amersha. We are just two ladies talking about things that have no earthly reason. Today we will be discussing chapter two and three in Marsha's book, Transcending the Heart, When God Sent Me the Ghost. We've been discussing this one chapter at a time. Today is episode four, and we are excited to be back. We've had a few weeks off. So Marsha, going into chapter two, I had the opportunity to read it. I could not put it down. Um, I had to go back and reread it just to make sure I wasn't missing anything. Tell me, what were you thinking? Well, it's probably the saddest chapter of the whole book. Mm-hmm. It is basically about the night that my son died. Mm-hmm. And he died of an, what they called an accidental drug overdose. Mm-hmm. And it was a very, very cold night in December. And I didn't know when he was going to get home. I was getting worried. It was getting late. And I was chatting on the phone And all of a sudden, I heard the door open, Mm -hmm. and it was such a relief to know that he's back. I know that feeling. (laughs) And, but what kicked in for me was he went straight downstairs and went into the lower level bathroom and locked the door. So at one point when you and I were talking, you talk about maybe, what you suspect, but and you said it was no secret that you were thinking this. Why? Well, first of all, you can talk about what you were suspecting, but why did you think it wasn't a secret? Like, what what behaviors were being displayed that made you feel that way? Well, Jody, something that is not in the book, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to share with listeners today, mm-hmm. was two months prior to this night, Danny overdosed but survived. So that is why um, I was really on guard and just Mm. was suspecting. On edge all the time. Yeah, on edge. Mm -hmm. It was was to the point for those two months um, trying to get him to get help. Mm -hmm. Um, It was not easy when you're an adult. Mm -hmm. You have to agree. Yes. You have to agree to get help. Mm -hmm. But my life for two or three months was basically coming downstairs in the morning having to prepare myself that I might find my son dead. Mm, horrible. And, you know, that's just, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's a terrible feeling. Right. So when he came in that night, knowing I suspected drug use, mm-hmm. well, we know because he overdosed mm-hmm. and, and survived, that, you know, I was really focusing on getting him help. Mm-hmm. I was pushing it. I was on top of things, so to speak. Right. Okay, so let's um, back up a little bit. So um, he came in, he went downstairs, he locked the door, the bathroom door. Um, what did you do next? I, I went down there so quickly, I called it stealth mode. <laughs> and I just knocked on the bathroom door immediately. He wasn't in, in there a few seconds before there I was knocking on the door. And he opens the door and he comes out and he's like mocking me and laughing and it's like, what mom what do you want everything's fine type was he of thing. already drinking do you think he had been like not that I could tell oh. mm-hmm. um I found out later he did have an alcohol level in his bloodstream mm-hmm. but wasn't just not. talking to him mm-hmm. he seemed absolutely fine to me mm-hmm. and uh I searched him mm-hmm. now 
my son was 32 years old, and here's mom searching him. I mean, you never lose that motherly whatever. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, he offered to drop his pants. I'm like, uh, no, that's not necessary. <laughs> like, this is getting weird. <laughs> but I did go in, and I searched the bathroom, and I could not find anything. So I gave him the benefit of the doubt, and... I went back out, and he's just standing there, and he says, Mom, can I finish using the bathroom? And I, I said, sure. And mm-hmm. we, we absolutely just thought it was funny, uh-huh. and, and, we, and we just laughed. Yeah. And then I went upstairs. He closed the bathroom door. Mm-hmm. So what happened next? We live in a tri-level home, Jody, and I had ascended the first half of the stairs, and going up the second set when I was suddenly overcome with this spine-tingling feeling. It went from the bottom of my spine. It was so intense. It went all the way up to the back of my neck that, you know, you do one of these things. It, mm-hmm. it was just yeah. cold. So you're sp- I, I know what you're talking about. It was, uh, it was sort of an intuitive feeling. Mm-hmm. And I instantly felt love and sadness all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I knew deep down... He had died. Wow. So I was still talking on the phone, and my friend, you know, I said, I know something's wrong. What do I do? Mm-hmm. And she said, uh, grab a screwdriver, uh, get your hu- wake your husband up. And, and what and time of the morning at this point were you in? Like, what time was it? This was 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. Oh. It wasn't super late at this time. Oh, okay. And it was late for him on a night that it was cold, 27 degrees, snowing, Mm -hmm. um, for him to be out and about. Because he didn't drive. So Mm -hmm. I didn't know if he was walking, riding his bike, had a ride. I I didn't even know where he was. So I immediately did that. I hung up the phone. I grabbed a screwdriver, got my husband up. I ran downstairs as fast as I could, pounding on the door. The door was locked. No answer. And (laughs) I mean, somebody wants to talk to me right now. (laughs) Um, And my husband came down with the screwdriver Mm -hmm. and pried the door open. And we slowly opened the door and saw his body slumped on the ground, his head leaning against the door. Mm -hmm. And he yelled, he's down, call 911. And that's when the the nightmare of the rest of that night began. Mm Mm-hmm. So you call 911, um, obviously they respond. Uh, what happened when they got there? Well, as we were calling 911, I saw my son's lip turn blue, actually more purple than mm-hmm. blue, and I knew we were in big trouble. Mm-hmm. And she told me, the dispatcher said, start mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Mm-hmm. And, but I was hysterical. I couldn't do it. Oh, I'm sure. And, I'm a uh, mother of two boys. I can't even imagine. And I would have if my husband wasn't there. Mm-hmm. But luckily, my husband was there, and he stepped uh, up to it, and he started giving the mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. I stood in the family room watching this um, in the dark, and, you know, my mind was just all over the place. Mm-hmm. I was hopeful. I was frightened. Mm-hmm. But I felt so alone just standing there mm-hmm. and, and helpless. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure. And all of a sudden, the EMT showed up. They 
let themselves in. Mm -hmm. They ran downstairs and they started uh, uh, their emergency thing. They, what do you call it when you do the compressions? Um, I don't even know. But CPR. Yeah. Oh, sorry. And <laughs> you see, here I am again, not thinking clearly. Mm -hmm. And they gave him two uh, shots of Narcan mm -hmm. and did mouth-to-mouth, uh, -mouth, and they did CPR for 23 minutes. Mm -hmm. Did you ever, um, when they were there at any time, feel um, like they had a perception already because it was a drug overdose, or do you feel that they were doing everything they could to help save your son? That night, they were doing everything they could to help my son. Mm -hmm. um, they knew him, or they knew of him. Oh, and in fact, when uh, the guy in charge came, he goes, oh, it's Danny. I was always wondering how he was doing. See, my mm -hmm. son had been clean for two years before this kicked up again. Oh, wow. So he was known as, you know, they were hopeful that he was going to be yeah, one okay. of the successful ones mm -hmm. and, and uh, survive this addiction. So let's um, go back um, to the chapter a little bit. Um, I know he, as a child, lived in Florida. Um, what kind of, how was he as a little boy when you were living in Florida? Like, what kind of life did he have? Oh, he was just, he loved being a kid. He was a sweet and generous uh, kid. Mm -hmm. Now he had a learning disability, which we didn't know at the time. But he had to have assistance and private tutoring his whole elementary school career. Mm -hmm. So he struggled in that respect. Mm -hmm. So you um, were in Florida. How old uh, was he then when you moved back to Ohio? When we returned to Ohio, he started back in sixth grade in middle school. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't fitting in so well because he considered himself a Floridian. <laughs> and I mean, I can't believe him. <laughs> <laughs> but here he was. Well, we're moving back into this totally different type of neighborhood there where we came from and he considered himself a surfer boy mm. you know he had tan skin bl sun bleached blonde hair was that longer it was cut yeah. in a surfer style uh, which yeah. at that time was short in the back but these long bangs that hung over the face uh -huh. and it he just wasn't fitting in well right so um tell me then uh you know he had a learning disability it talks about that in the book and uh, obviously, you had meetings at school. Um, I, I feel like from what I read, they didn't always go so well. So what were your next steps? Um, what did you do? Well, I'm, I'm not saying things didn't go well like they intended it to. It's just there weren't things set in place at the time. Uh, this was a long time ago now that he was in school. This is before any of the legislation uh, to not leave a child behind or, oh. or to help a child. There was nothing There were no in process place. in place. Yes, there was no process in place. Mm -hmm. And so we were sort of basically on our own. Okay. So then, um, obviously, um, you provided some resources. I think in the book it tells uh, things that you tried to do to help him along the way because schools didn't have those processes in place. Then he goes into high school. What were his high school years like? Was he still kind of not fitting in? Yes, he was pretty much labeled um, a low achiever uh, because he was so far behind the others. Mm -hmm. And he gathered with friends 
who are in similar situations, weren't quite fitting mm-hmm. in, academic issues, mm-hmm. uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, Which, I mean, that happens, right? Everybody wants to fit somewhere. So basically, they'd started uh, gathering after school mm-hmm. at the parks, playing basketball, and they started experimenting with cigarettes mm-hmm. and a little bit of alcohol, and then eventually they started experimenting with drugs. And so um, I know he had a stepdad. Was his biological dad in the picture growing up, or how? what did that look like for you and him? Well, to be honest with you, um, the reason that uh, I divorced his, his father mm-hmm. was because of a drug and alcohol abuse mm-hmm. issue. And when we moved to Florida, he, he didn't have much uh, contact at all, even in Ohio, with his children. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe twice every six months, mm-hmm. so about four times a year. But when we moved to Florida and returned back home, he sort of wanted to get back together with them. Mm-hmm. And my son was just turned 14, and he went to visit his biological dad. His biological dad thought he's going to be a cool dad and introduce my son to his first smoke of the marijuana. Mm. Mm. And things just went downhill from there. Got you. So um, thinking about the book and, um, your, you know, your move from Florida, obviously it was hard on him. What kind of things did you do um, after that night? Like how... Was your family affected? I mean, obviously, um, you always, you hear of stories, but you always think like that wouldn't happen to my family, but it is reality, right? Um, How did your family, your daughter, um, the siblings, like what did your family look like after um, this happened to Danny? Well, immediately after, you know, everybody was was numb Mm -hmm. and including myself. Mm -hmm. But what was hard for me, yes, my son just died. But my son had two children, Mm, mm -hmm. and he had a sister, and he had nieces, and it's it just doesn't affect one person. So there I was as the mother, the grandmother. Mm -hmm. I was in charge. It was was my son. It was not my husband's son. It was my son, Mm -hmm. which put me one hundred percent in charge of making all the final decisions. And helping my family before I can help myself. So, yeah, I was going to say, like, as a mother, um, you always carry the world on your shoulders anyways, especially when it's your children. So you had to act like you were strong and probably together for his children, your daughter, um, everybody. And then you just really had no time for Marsha to probably process it and feel it and heal it and all of that. Um did you uh, get involved in any, like, self-help organizations, or is there anything after that that you put yourself in to try to help yourself? It took several years, mm-hmm. but I found myself drawn back to church. Mm-hmm. So I went back to church, and through that experience, my pastor helped me realize I really hadn't properly grieved, mm-hmm. and it had been years. Mm-hmm. So he helped me through that, and... You know, I really started to see things in a different light. And a friend of mine, through all this, said, um, Marsha, it's okay. You can be mad at God. God can take it. Mm-hmm. And I thought about that, and I'm like, okay, I never thought of that. 
So I tried to be mad at God, Mm -hmm. but I found I wasn't. Mm -hmm. I just, I, I wasn't angry with God because I don't think God purposely grieves us. Mm -hmm. I think he stands right next to us and cries right along with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, and besides getting in church, um, what other type of organizations did you uh, get involved in to try to? Well, for, for a while, I was shortly involved in with um, a new coalition that had just started in Montgomery County. And it was um, trying to determine and update opportunities for addiction. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just talking drug addiction. I'm talking gambling, alcohol, any shopping addictions. I mean, there's so many different addictions. Might, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I might go to the shopping. No, that's a joke. <laughs> but anyway, I was uh, I was invited to sit in on this coalition. Mm-hmm. They thought it might help me, and it did uh, make me realize how the protocol for responding to a drug overdose what it used to be and how it's changed. Mm. And the old school was like, well, if they're going to take the drug, just let them go. Mm-hmm. And now they are looking at it as a, it's actually addiction as a whole mm-hmm. is a disease. It is treatable mm-hmm. if you get the help. Mm. Yeah. So um, before we move into uh, chapter three, is there anything else that you need to share about Danny or chapter two or your book with chapter two that we didn't talk about. I think um, you had started your book and then this happened and you got a little sidetracked because life happens. Is there anything that we need to talk about before we move on? Well, we'll just update the people that when I started writing this book, it was before my son died. Mm -hmm. And it was actually being done with a friend of mine, Steve Berryhill. I was writing this book with his help Uh, about the history and haunting of Bellbrook because I had gotten into paranormal investigating and I did that as a fluke. Mm -hmm. Um, I was working for the school district and three graduates did their community service for scholarship work in the Family Resource Center and had some strange experiences. Mm -hmm. And this is at the time um, when... The TV show, I'm, I think I'm allowed to say it, Ghost Hunters, was really getting popular. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to try to do an, a paranormal investigation like they saw on TV. So um, did your chapter three, that's the next chapter that we would be discussing. Um, so when Danny passed, had you already started working on this paranormal the the ghost hunting at sugar creek or did this kind of take place after you dealt with the passing of danny like how did the this, series take go off for the, you, I guess? the timing of this this is how i actually got into paranormal investigating with this gift of an investigation mm-hmm. i was scared mm-hmm. i was frightened mm-hmm. i wanted nothing to do with it mm-hmm. but my friend asked me to be a chaperone oh, okay. and thought it was just going to be fun mm-hmm. Here's the connection. Mm-hmm. Um, my son Danny came to the ghost hunt with me because I wasn't feeling well, uh-huh. and I needed him to carry my camera equipment. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to come. Mm-hmm. He he wasn't into this at all, mm-hmm. but he did it out of the goodness heart for me. Mm-hmm. 
Well, while we're there, and this is going to start taking us into another chapter, but briefly I'm, I'm just going to mention that um, something that my son captured on a camera while we were doing this is had no earthly reason, <laughs> and it sparked my interest and my curiosity in, oh my gosh, is is there something beyond this life? Mm-hmm. And now looking back, because Danny didn't die for eight or nine years after this. Oh, wow. Um, so but it was because of his presence and the things he captured that got me into this is what I think I had to know. I had to, to do this mm-hmm. to survive the death of my own child. Wow. So moving into chapter three, um, Danny was there. He carried your equipment. He captured some documentation on film, obviously. Um, Let's talk about the lights. (laughs) Okay. That was the, we were having so much fun doing this investigation. We were pretty much armed with a digital camera and we walked around this school building with as all the lights off that we could possibly. Well, and let me say, I went to elementary school there, and it was, it was eerie then. So I can't imagine years later when it's somewhat empty and vacant, and I don't know what, what time frame you did this in, but Sugar Creek Elementary is can put chills down your spine. So. And Jody, <laughs> funny you mentioned that because. You're not the first person to tell me that. Yes. There's a lot of people living and working in Bellbrook that went to school there mm-hmm. as when it was an elementary. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and you are absolutely right. It, it's very spooky. I have a funny story after we get through this that I'll share when I was there, but go ahead. <laughs> so we were pretty much scaring each other. We mm-hmm. spent three hours just going room to room, not finding a thing, taking pictures, mm-hmm. when all of a sudden one of the, the graduates took a picture and said, oh, there's a little dot. Took the next picture, the dot wasn't there. Like an orb. I guess, but it wasn't even big enough to call it an orb, oh. you know. And it, we were just looking for anything. Mm-hmm. But that got the kids excited. And so we decided about 1 o'clock in the morning to take a break. Mm-hmm. We went up to the third floor and had water and snacks. Mm-hmm. When Danny and one of the other graduates grabbed my digital camera and decided to go outside and walk around the outside of the building. Mm-hmm. It's pitch dark. This was in June. It was a beautiful night. And they thought they saw a shadow of a face looking at them through one of the windows that would have been in the back of the gym. Mm -hmm. So my son, and this was like 2009-ish, and the digital cameras were cool, Mm -hmm. and they were new, but they're nothing like cameras are today. Mm -hmm. The cameras had to cycle after each picture, so you just couldn't go click, click, click. Like, yeah. So... He had to focus, and he was looking through the the viewfinder Mm -hmm. to take a picture of this supposedly shadow face Mm -hmm. when the boys behind them heard metal hitting metal. Clunk, clunk, clunk. Mm -hmm. They turned, and they saw nothing with their eyes, Mm -hmm. but Danny still had the camera on focus, and through the viewfinder... Mm -hmm. He captured this three-part light 
behind a 14-foot fence where the school district used to park buses Mm -hmm. before they built their new facility. Mm -hmm. In that was a trailer and a topper to an old pickup truck sitting on the ground. And that's where the light was. It was as if these lights had bumped into that metal truck topper. Mm -hmm. Well, Danny saw it through the viewfinder, and he took a picture. And by the time it cycled... Mm -hmm. And he's looking, holding that focus button down, and he's looking. He finds it now two feet above the 14-foot fence. So it's about 16 feet in the air, Mm -hmm. and it's a much clearer picture. And he snaps the picture. And by the time the camera cycled again, the lights couldn't be found. Wow. They they were a three-part light. Uh, Well, first, before we even discuss that, um, the boys were so excited they ran upstairs to the third floor, and they were they were breathlessly saying, "We caught something! We experienced something unexplainable!" And b- just as quick as those boys ran up the stairs, all of us ran downstairs mm-hmm. and outside in the back of that parking lot. And of course, we saw nothing. Mm-hmm. And but the boys said, "But we got it on camera." So now it's about 2 o'clock in the morning, and there we are, three grown women and three um, young young men, because mm-hmm. they were all men, uh, huddled in the back of the parking lot at Sugar Creek Elementary School so looking funny. at this viewfinder. Yeah. And the pictures absolutely confirmed what the boys had said. They would said it, how low it was on the ground, what, what they saw next mm-hmm. to it. Uh, how high you know, you could mm-hmm. see the fence, and it was definitely like a three-part light. Um, I might not have the colors in order, but it was dark blue, light blue, and then green. Mm-hmm. And by the time it had risen over the top of the 14-foot fence, mm-hmm. it had its shape was more clear, and it looked like a small dumbbell. Yeah, so I um, actually saw the pictures for those listening, and... Um, She's describing it like point on. I mean, absolutely. Um, So I know that sometimes when you uh, talk about your no earthly reasons, um, you like to use documentation to say, like, I'm really not crazy. I really did see something. Um, So for those of you who maybe aren't familiar that are listening to this podcast, um, Sugar Creek Elementary, um, the one building is an older building. It's three stories. And then years later, probably what, in the 50s or 60s, they built on like a one-hall room that is a flat um, building, and it had classrooms in it. I actually went to fourth grade in that building. Um, Tell us about your experience in that hall um, with the fire extinguisher that was actually caught on film, and what happened with that? Well, let me back up just a little bit, because that's the most recent experience that we've had. Oh, but let me back up to the time frame bef- as when I was an employee of the Bellbrook Schools. I was one that went to the evening meetings and all the activities, mm-hmm. and I would be the one to lock up after everybody else has left. And we'd one night in the one-story building, we had a, a meeting, and I locked up. Everybody was gone, and I was getting ready to go out to go out the front door. When at the back door, I turned and I saw shadow of a man standing there in the at the glass door Mm -hmm. and didn't think a thing of it I thought oh somebody 
somebody's left something in the in the meeting room yeah. and I instinctively walked over and opened the door and nobody was there mm. stepped outside Chills. <laughs> parking lot was totally empty mm-hmm. but I know what I saw but I wasn't sure what it was right and it just got the wheels turning so I kept it quiet for a few weeks and I happened to be in that one-story hall again as I am many times and I saw a teacher in her classroom getting ready to move furniture and things and I said do you want me to help you move that and she goes yeah she goes you know um it would be nice to have somebody to to help and uh I could tell she was like hem hawing mm-hmm. so I shared my experience I said you know what a few weeks ago I saw a man at the back door but when I opened the door it, it was gone and she grabbed my arm and she said, I am so glad to hear you say that. I saw him too, but I didn't know what to do. I was in my classroom at night by myself. I saw a man walk down the hallway and I ran after him to ask him to help me move a table, but nobody was there. Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, so, Marsha, the boys saw the lights outside. We've seen a ghost in the other single hall um, newer building let's talk about what you saw in the gym or captured on video in the old gym of the sugar creek elementary building tell us about that little episode (laughs) okay once my son captured the lights on the pictures Mm -hmm. everything changed for me Mm -hmm. my curiosity was piqued i didn't know what i saw but I wanted an explanation. You see, I'm a former newspaper reporter. Right. So I wanted to get to the bottom of things. Mm-hmm. I, I know there's two sides to every story, and and this just totally intrigued me. Mm-hmm. I yet did not realize why I might have been put on this path. So the gym in the uh, Sugar Creek Elementary building, this has no longer been used as a school now for several years. Right. And... The Family Resource Center was located and still is. It's, it's been rebranded. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was going to talk to the custodian of that building at some point. I thought I had plenty of time to pursue this. And I found out that uh, he's going to retire in a few months. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, no, I didn't know him that well. Mm-hmm. I thought now time is of the essence. If I'm going to go approach him, and ask him if he saw anything uh, that he couldn't explain, had no earthly reason. You need to do it soon. Yes. Yes. So I knew his shift. He, he was the night shift. And I waited till I knew he was, his shift was well underway. Mm-hmm. And I went to Sugar Creek Elementary and walked in the building and saw him in the gym. And I'm talking to him and uh, first just chit-chatting because I didn't know this man very well. How in the world, I was thinking, am I all of a sudden going to talk to somebody I barely know about possible dead people walking around? Right, like this is a weird conversation. (laughs) It's not your normal every day. (laughs) Like, what is he going to, is he going to think I'm cuckoo or what? Like, yeah. But lo and behold, um, and as you'll read in the book in detail, he did have some experiences and he shared with me and it just increased my curiosity even more. Mm-hmm. Um, so now that I knew this, I uh, was telling one of my friends, the one that, that 
initiated this original gift of a ghost hunt for the graduates. Mm -hmm. We were standing in the gym talking. No lights are on. There are no windows in the gym. And I'm telling her what the custodian had said to me. Mm -hmm. And just as we were, I was talking, a giant shadow of a dove flew from one end of the gym all the way to the other. Is that in your book? Yes, it is. Okay. I, and I mean, I read it, but I, it was a while ago. And I stopped talking because I couldn't believe what I just saw. Mm-hmm. And my fr- before I said a word, my friend said, Marsha, I saw it too. Mm. No earthly reason mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, there's something going on in this gym. Yes. And I decided I grabbed a couple of friends, and I had been ghost hunting for a while now. And I took my camcorder and a flashlight Mm -hmm. and went to the middle of the gym. And I did this, and I had to hurry because the gym was going to be rented out soon. There would no longer be public access to that part of the facility. So right in the middle of the gym, I set up my camcorder on night vision mode. Mm -hmm. About 25 feet away, I set a flashlight, and I step away. And I just start a conversation. I start asking questions and um, said, well, from some of our past experience, we figured there had to be somebody still hanging around here. Mm -hmm. And the flashlight turned on and stayed on. Mm -hmm. So then I asked the question, uh, if you're not happy here, turn the flashlight off when I count to three. Mm -hmm. One, two, three flashlight stayed on. Mm -hmm. So then I asked the question, if you're happy here Mm -hmm. to turn off the flashlight when I count to three. One, flashlight's still on. Two, flashlight flickers and gets lower. Mm -hmm. Three, it turns off. Mm -hmm. Yes, I actually watched your video of that and it's kind of like, ooh, like um, this is not in the book, and obviously this is my experience at Sugar Creek um, Elementary Gym, and I don't even know if it's appropriate to share, but we're talking about it, so I'm going to. Um, I had just recently taken over the Belbert Sugar Creek Chamber of Commerce, and I was in the office one night. Um, actually, it was the principal's office, which when I went to school there, that was the chamber's office, and um, I thought nobody was in the building, it was really eerie going in there because, uh, you know, walking up the steps, there's cobwebs and, you know, whatever. But I'm like, I can do this. So I'm in there, like, working and going through things. Um, the entire time I was there, I just felt a presence. Like, I kept kind of looking around, like, is somebody in here with me or what is happening? Well, um, so there's the office, and then directly across the hall are like is, like, this window thing that opens that you can look down into the old gym, Right. And, um, you know, that gym was my gym for fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. Uh, I twirled baton in that gym. I was very familiar with that gym and the locker rooms. Uh, I spent a lot of time in that gym growing up. Anyways, I am sitting in the chamber office all alone, and I hear something from the gym. And I was like, well, I kind of paused for a minute because I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's nobody at all in this building except for me. 
So I went about my work and I heard it again. And I quickly uh, got my stuff and I could not get out of that building fast enough. In fact, when I was going, um, when I left the building, I went to the left because it took you straight down the stairs, a flight of stairs out the door. And I literally felt like something was behind me. I kept kind of looking to make sure. I'm just telling you that uh, I had chills to the spine. So It wasn't funny then, was it? Um, no, it was not. And I was like, mm, I don't know how much longer I can go into the office all alone. But yeah, I, I, I don't know what it was. I definitely, there was something coming from the gym. Uh, what it was, I, I don't know. But uh, yeah, so. And even my grandchildren uh, mm-hmm. had an experience there. I had an office in that building for a while after my job ended. Mm-hmm. Same office that you were in. Yes. And But I was holding an event uh, in the building. And I took two of my grandkids with me to help me set up chairs. And we were on the lower level. And all of a sudden, my grandchildren just ran upstairs. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what are they doing up there? Mm-hmm. And I hear them going, Grandma? Grandma? So I go upstairs. I said, what are you doing up here? She says, well, we saw you go up the stairs, so we followed you. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, there's another part in your book, and you are actually, like, in the main office um, of the Sugar Creek Township building, and the kids were with you. It was, like, when Danny and the boys were with you, I believe, and something like the a cabinet or something opened. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, you said Sugar Creek Township building, but I think you meant Sugar Creek Elementary. I did. I mean, yeah. Yep. Okay, that is what initiated the gift of the ghost hunt. Mm. Um, these graduates who requested that was mm. standing in the, the main office where the secretaries would be, mm-hmm. and they were on the secretary side that had cabinets that opened, a wooden cabinet and a counter. And the lady in charge of the Family Resource Center, my friend, was on the other side, and they were just engaged in a conversation. When all of a sudden, the door to the cabinets just popped open. Mm -hmm. And at the exact same time, my friend's pierced earring came loose and was thrown behind her about two feet. Mm -hmm. Both the back and the earring landing on the floor. And it wasn't like it just came loose and fell down. Mm-hmm. There was some force that had to make it go a couple feet wow. away. Wow. And that's what's, what started all this, Jody, and yeah. sort of the rest is history. Mm-hmm. But that's what started my paranormal turn spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. And so then quickly before we um, tie up chapters two and three, um, Tell us uh, what most recently happened and what I was explaining a little bit ago about the single hall um, newer addition to the Sugar Creek Elementary School that was caught like on the cam recorder or whatsoever. Okay, things have changed over the years and now the one-story building is not being used by Bellbrook School District. It's being utilized and rented out by another uh, school. Yeah. And... But they have security cameras of their own put up. Uh, the one-story hallway in Sugar Creek uh, Elementary's one-story building has a fire extinguisher in a box with a glass window with a handle that you have to turn and then pull the door open. Um, security cameras were running, as they always do, and all of a sudden the police department was called just to look at something. Can you give us your opinion? Well, after... They looked at it, 
they asked me to look at it <laughs> and get my opinion because that is the exact same hallway where I saw my first shadow person mm-hmm. that night that we talked about earlier. So the they take a video with a cell phone of the security camera video, and it's just nothing going on. The hallway's empty. It is clear. Be- it is before class starts, and all of a sudden the security camera picks up the handle being turned and the door open and nobody is there Mm -hmm. kind of freaky yep it kind of is of course i had no earthly reason for it (laughs) no except i knew there's a a shadow man that roams those halls and you know you're not crazy because a third grade teacher happened to witness the same shadow man at some point as well right so you know like, it's not like it's just one person thinking this or seeing this, and it happened at completely different times. And that's exactly why, Jody, I do try to have some sort of documentation yeah. of what I write about. Because there have been a few people that thought I might have a mental illness. Right. I mean, <laughs> and sometimes you would think that, but then when you actually see the documentation, it's kind of like, oh, wow, maybe... Um, and I mean, I know even just as a little girl, um, they used to talk about the stuff in the locker rooms in the Sugar Creek Elementary building. And, you know, we used to go down there and like scare each other and come running up. But I, I know that that building has just always had like an eerie feeling of like a presence of whatever that is, the no earthly reason of whatever. So I, I, I get it. Um, so this will wrap up today's uh, episode four with Jody and Marsha. We will continue through her book. Um, our next chapter will be chapter four. And we will continue, lo- continue through with no earthly reason with Jody and Marsha. Thank you. Thanks. Bye, everybody.